Welcome to the Keystone Church Podcast. Keystone Church exists to lead people towards a life that is fully surrendered to Jesus. We hope that this message will encourage you and inspire you to take your next step in your faith journey. Thanks so much for joining us and enjoy this week's message from Pastor Lauren Foster. What we have figured out over this last month as we've, as we've opened up the Word of God is our aim has been to show you that we're not designed to live alone. If you're trying to make it in and of your own self, secluded as a believer, I'm going to tell you this year, if it hasn't revealed to you already, that's going to present a very difficult scenario because God didn't design us to live alone. In fact, in this this season of isolation and quarantine and uncertainty and tension, we need one another. You need some church family. You need some relationships in your life. It's one of the core values of our church that we understand the value of each soul. It means that life-giving relationships matter. We talked about this scripture that we've been leaning on this past month in Ecclesiastes that we want to make sure that nobody falls alone. That means if you didn't show up for a month or you didn't show up for a few weeks, I would hope that somebody here in this church is reaching out to you and is asking you, where you been? Is everything okay? Is there anything we could do for you that we could be praying for you about? That's why the local church exists. And the heart of it all is we want you to be pointed closer to Christ in relationships that you form. We found out this past month that the church is not a building structure or a physical entity, that the church is a people, that we are the church, we're the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, we reflect the attributes of Jesus. We saw in Galatians chapter 5, here are the attributes of, of a life filled with Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Greek word for fruit is karapos, and it really just simply means that what is being built and grown in your life is designed to represent Christ and all that he is. And why does it matter when we talk about church family, when, it, when we talk about relationships that we build here at Keystone? Because everything that we aim to do will be to reflect Christ, represent him, and to bow our lives to Jesus. We want to build others as we are being built up by Christ. And then last week, Pastor Casey shared from Mark chapter 2 about a story that included four men, Jesus and a sick man. He talked about this sick man having a kairos moment, scripturally speaking, a divine intervention with Jesus. And these men that brought this sick man to Jesus, they were crazy. They were willing to do whatever it took to get this friend of theirs in front of the Savior. They even tore a hole through the roof. I mean, if you could imagine, if I'm speaking right now, and all of a sudden you see a saw coming through the hole, and and somebody's trying to lower somebody down through the roof, we'd be shocked. Like, what is happening? But that's how desperate these men were to get their friend in front of Jesus. And the question that he was asking is, do you have a friend or a group of friends who will grab a corner of your bed and take you to Jesus? When you need it in your life, when you fall, that they'll be there to pick you up. When you're hurting, that they'll be there to pray for you. And this morning, let me tell you first off what's going to happen. I'm going to speak a slightly shorter message than I normally would because we want to afford everybody some time to be able to walk around, check out some of the different groups that we have to offer. And I would just encourage you as a pastor, please. I know the tendency. I can even feel it at times uh, in, in my own life. Resist the urge to just walk out the door quickly. 
I'm just asking it. This is the weekend that's designed to be very intentional, to help you get connected, or at the very least, point you towards a next step for the future. And because of this being a life group launch weekend, this message this morning is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be extremely symbolic. And the goal is going to be to unpack some scripture and give you a glimpse of what Jesus modeled and what he desires when it comes to relationships. In fact, the symbol that we're really going to be drawing on, and we're going to see this through scripture, you see tables set up all around this room. I need you to not forget the table because we're about to unpack this. In Luke chapter 22, verse 14 through 20, here's what it says. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. Everybody say table. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. I'm going to pause here for a second. This is the last meal Jesus is having with his disciples, with his followers, before he's going to the cross. He's being extremely intentional. We're going to see why the table matters when it comes to relationships. Because Jesus was consistently found with people around the table. In verse 17, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this, divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This is a glimpse of Holy Communion. What we do as a church, every so often we are celebrating, we're remembering what Christ has done for us on the cross. And full disclosure... Before this message ends, I'm going to ask you, we, we do this every week. There's a moment where it's like this self-reflective. It's kind of like, how does the word of God, how does this message apply to my life? What change could the Lord be prompting me to make personally? Well, I'm going to just tell you up front, I'm going to ask you here this morning to consider making an immediate response to not leave this place without finding somewhere or someone that you can connect with. And here's my encouragement. You're going to hear the truth about this subject this morning when we're symbolically talking about the table and how it points back to Jesus. But if I'm going to be honest with you, what I would really love for you to grasp here this morning is the heart behind it. But you can understand the, the, the structure of it, but I, just, I need you to, to hear and experience the heart of why Jesus wants us to get around the table. So let's talk about it. It always points back to Christ. And these tables that you see around the room, these are relational tables. In fact, in biblical context, I had a blast studying this and, and, and learning something. I didn't realize the complexity behind the table when it came to Old Testament and New Testament. Because in the biblical context, when you would gather around a table with others, it was something known as table fellowship. And there's so much symbolism in this subject as we're going to see because it's not explicitly defined in Scripture, but many Old Testament and New Testament scholars have studied out the significance and importance of this subject of table fellowship. And even it refers to the practice of people eating together in a context that implies more than just eating food and just providing yourself physical sustenance or the satisfaction of your appetite there are numerous accounts in the Gospels where Jesus is around a table meeting 
with people. And scripturally speaking, at the center of the spiritual lives of God's people, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we find the Passover table. We find the table of communion, which we just read about in Luke. And this is the way that Jesus, I believe, is modeling something to us. How many of you like to eat food? Anybody in this room, you like to eat? I mean, I live to eat. You know, I had a friend that was a professional bodybuilder, and uh, he ate food, and he, he divided it up into little Ziploc bags every day. It was like, I'm going to portion out some tuna. I'm going to portion out some beans and some rice. And he told me, Foster, I don't, I don't uh, eat for satisfaction. I eat for fuel. That's what he told me. And I said, well, I think your life is miserable because I want to enjoy food. I, I want to experience it. And I'll tell you, about three years ago, I had a friend of mine who lives out in Ventura, California, uh, my best friend from my childhood. His wife called me out of the blue one day and said, Foster, I know that you and Mike, you haven't seen each other for about eight years. She said, I want to fly you out to California so that you and Mike can visit, hang out for a few days. And um, she said, if you would just, you know, maybe take some time, maybe pray about it, let me know. I said, Gabby, I don't need to pray about it. I don't even need to talk to my wife about it. I'm coming to California. If you're buying my plane ticket, I'm going. And um, my wife, being Italian and coming from a big Italian family, I wanted to get her something kind of special when I was out there. And so I went to this, uh, this really cool Italian store. And I, I just, I love the, the history of Italy. It's somewhere that my wife and I want to go. It's on our bucket list. And, you know, I, I love the culture. Italian food is my favorite food. So if you're not getting it, that's, that's kind of where this is all coming from. And uh, when I was walking around in this store, something caught my eye that I had to get from my wife. And it was this plate with an Italian phrase. And you're going to see a picture of it come on, up on the screen right now. And... Uh, and I could try to pronounce this, but I would butcher it really bad. And I was practicing on Google Translate, like literally for the last couple days. And I, I was trying to sound smooth with it. And I, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess it up, but I'm going to just take a crack at it. It was a tavolia on si invacima. And, and that means, thank you, thank you. I get an A for effort. Okay. That phrase simply means, at the table, one never grows old. And I love the beauty behind that, but I honestly didn't think much of it beyond giving it to my wife as a gift a few years ago. But when you research the context of what that means within the Italian culture, there's a much deeper meaning. Because Italians never eat alone, so it implies that if you're at the table, you're also surrounded by family and friends. Sounds a lot like the local church, or at least the way we desire the local church to look. In fact, Paul represented this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, where he talked about the Christian, the communal meal, referencing that passage in Luke, the Lord's Supper. It, cre it creates bonds in relationship among those that are participating. And I'll tell you that even in our home, gathering around the table is a big deal. And to be quite honest, we don't do it as often as we should. Because we get busy, there's things in our life that tend to take priority during the week, and you have to be intentional. You have to carve out some time to get around the table and put away the distractions. But when it happens, the phones go off, attention is on one another, the laughing gets louder, we get honest with what's really happening in our life, and we talk about what's going on. We get transparent, we get authentic, we get real. This is the design that the Lord would want for our relationships in our lives when we gather around 
the fellowship table. Listen to the power behind this. One biblical dictionary put it like this. The former meal or banquet was the primary social event for the ancients, and it created and carried a great deal of meaning because dining together created a tie or a bond which turned into an ethical obligation to one another. In the Greek tradition, table etiquette was a part of this instruction. In fact, when you were at the table, individuals were prohibited from speaking out and engaging in divisive behavior when they were at the table. I don't know if any of you have picked up on any divisive behavior in our culture, but I can tell you that it's all around. And I remember years ago when I was a teenager, I want to say I was about 12 or 13 my family took me to New York City for the very first time. And I remember when we were walking down in Times Square, I saw for the first time ever, I, had, I, I watched this in the media or on a, in the movies, you know, where you, you see someone on a soapbox with a bullhorn that's yelling out scripture and telling people about the wrath of God, how they're going to hell. I'd never seen that in person before. I didn't grow up in church. And so this was kind of like, it was jarring. Because there was a lot of tension happening around this man. And, and God bless him. I think he was truthfully, he was doing his best to share the good news. But I can tell you that in that moment, it did not sound like good news to those around him. He was yelling through a bullhorn. And it was almost as if he was trying to think of every, the, the hardest and sharpest scriptures he could find in the word of God. And he was forgetting all the others that had to do with grace. And something that I've realized, I don't know if you would agree with me, but I feel this phone, social media, has become the modern-day bullhorn for many believers. Because I can tell you that it is very easy to shout and yell our opinions from a distance on social media or through a text or through a post. But can I tell you that when you get across the table from someone, everything changes. The conversation changes. The tone changes. You start to see that person differently than you did at a distance. And I'm just letting you know that we tell our kids this all the time. I think it's time for us to put our phones down and get back around the table again. And when we study this out in the life of Jesus, we see two major examples of how Christ modeled this table fellowship. The first are the accounts in the Gospels that show him eating with sinners and those considered less reputable in society. I want you to put yourself in their situation here for a moment. Think of those that would have been marginalized, that would have been known as sinners because of, of their lifestyle and what they did. The Gospel accounts said Jesus was around a table with these people. And what's amazing is I can only imagine what their impression of Jesus must have been from a distance. Meaning before they were around his table, they heard something that he spoke from a distance. So I want you to put yourself in their situation. They're living a sinful life. They know they're far from God. They probably feel weighed down, guilty. They're shamed. Other people in society, even non-believers, don't want to be around these people because of their reputation. And here they hear the good news that Christ is preaching. They hear the good news of the gospel. And I have to wonder if those, if those unbelievers from a distance, if in their own mind or in their own heart, they probably thought to themselves, I like what this man is saying, but I bet he, no, he wants nothing to do with me. 
He probably doesn't want me around. I like what he's saying, but maybe up close and personal, I can't really know that man. Then imagine the day that Jesus approaches one of these sinners that has a reputation in the community for how they've lived. And think about what it must have meant for them when Jesus said, you, I want you at my table. You're coming in. We're, we're going to go hang out. I'm throwing a steak on the grill. I want you to come over tonight. I can't imagine the, the emotion that those unbelievers, sinners, must have felt. Jesus wants to spend time with me. Jesus is inviting me to his table. And to be truthful, you can see through Scripture, we are all sinners that have been invited to his table. If we will accept that invitation. That's the gospel. That's the hope and the good news. I would imagine that all the assumptions, the preconceived ideas about who he is and what he's all about, at the table, they saw him more than a prophet or a teacher. They saw him as Lord. They saw him as Savior. And I'm going to go ahead and ask the team to come back up here this morning. As we get ready to close here today and, and give you some time, to get around a table. Here's a few things that I've noticed. I'm gonna move through these quickly. It's again, more something that I would love for you to get in your heart here this morning when it comes to the attributes of the table fellowship that Christ provides. I've noticed that table fellowship, it always points back to Christ's redemption. When we're invited to be around the table, when Jesus gives that invitation to us, He's saying, I don't care where you've been, what you've done, what your life looks like now. I want you near me. I want to be around you. I'm inviting you to sit close to me. You also need to know that besides the fact that it points to Christ's redemption, that the table, the relational table, it was costly. Jesus knew that. It's ironic that his final meal with his disciples was around the table. In fact, there's a theologian N.T. Wright, he made a quote and he said this, when Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory, he gave them a meal. He wanted them close. He wanted them to know this is the way you stay close to me, you stay close to one another. You need to be in relationship with people. You're not designed to live this life alone. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna take something. It's gonna be costly. For many of us, we're going to have to rearrange our schedule, perhaps. We're going to have to prioritize something over another. It's not just going to happen. Relationships don't just form haphazardly. It's intentional. We have to fight to get around the table. And the last attribute is that the table always has room for you. This is the hope of the gospel. That no matter where you're at, Jesus has a place for you. He's waiting for you to take a seat. And I'm convinced that if you want to grow in your relationship with the Lord, if you want to find a church to call home, it starts with having a relationship with God, but then it also, alongside that, is a relationship with others. Totally convinced that you could come here to service each week. You can enjoy worship, the presence of God, be encouraged by the word, but I'm telling you, it's going to mean so much more if you find some relationships here to keep you rooted, people that you can grow with, that are asking about you, that can pray with you, that can carry you to Jesus when you need it. 
heard one pastor say that the table is a place of blessing, a place of breaking, and a place of giving. And I totally agree. Because when we gather around the table of fellowship that Jesus modeled, not only are we sharing our lives with one another, but we're giving him all the credit, all the glory, because he showed us how to do it first. Thanks so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified each week as soon as a new sermon is available. We would love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Instagram at The Keystone Church or over on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Keystone Church PA. And of course, for more information, you can visit our website at keystonechurchpa.com.